0: Welcome to the AWS Tech Chat. We're solution architects based in APAC, and we help customers adopt the AWS Cloud Platform. In each episode, we talk about the latest and most interesting technical developments in a world of AWS Cloud. We bring you the AWS Roundup and deep tech dives into topics of interest. Hello, my name is Shane Baldacchino, and this is episode 47 of the AWS Tech Chat podcast. And today joining us once again is Gabe Hollenby, who is a senior technical evangelist and all around nice guy. I would normally say, Gabe, it's been a while, but we only saw each other a few weeks ago in Sydney. And I think now you're somewhere on the other side of the world. This might sound like an old video game cliche, but where in the world is Carmen Diego, or I mean, Gabe Hollenby? <laughs> Welcome to the show, Gabe.
1: Thanks, Shane. As always, it's really nice to be here and always an honor to be on the show. And yes, look, sometimes I feel just like Carmen Diego. Now, some of our listeners might not get that reference. Uh, for those of you maybe who are a bit younger who just didn't play video games when you were a kid, like I'm guessing you and I did, Shane, Carmen Diego was a video game where you know it would teach us about the world. Uh, you were a detective and you would follow clues and uh, Carmen San Diego would steal well-known artifacts from around the world like she would steal the Sydney Opera House and you would have to go find it and you would follow clues like you know oh the last time I saw her she was boarding a plane with a flag that looked like you know blue with a yellow cross in the middle and so you'd have to like look up clues in your almanac this is back before the internet and like you know that's how I learned a bunch of the flags in different parts of the world so fun game uh but you know, we are uh we are not here uh, to uh, talk about video games. Uh, but yeah, where in the world is Gabe Hollenby? I'm currently recording this from my hotel room in Stockholm. Uh, and, you know, speaking of episode 47, uh, 47 is the international telephone country code for Norway. But I'm in Sweden. Well, it was almost an amazing coincidence. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs>
0: Almost, almost, almost. You know, you're making me smile here, Gaber. Uh, you're bringing back memories out. I actually never finished Carmen San Diego. So obviously, my history is not that
1: good. Well, our listeners don't subscribe to this podcast to hear us talk about travel and video game references. We're here to talk about AWS tech stuff. Uh, that we are. <laughs> and as you know, I think I can do a good job bridging this gap here from Carmen San Diego to a good topic for today security.
0: So, cloud security is the highest priority at AWS. You know, it really is. It's not something that we're just saying here. You know, I can tell you it is at the core of everything we do. And the reality is, in today's modern world, you know, your border is the interface between yourself and the consumer. You not only need an online presence, but you need to ensure that you can deal with an ever increasing hostile environment. But is traditional security enough? Given that modern day attacks mainly focus at the application layer.
1: Uh, By traditional security, I'm assuming you're talking about things like uh, port filtering, firewalls, etc., right?
0: Uh, Yeah, you know, that's exactly what you mean. Because if you look through the lens of traditional security controls, in 2019, I really don't think they cut it. You know, it's still a game of cat and mouse. You struggle to get one step ahead, and these malicious actors are finding new and innovative ways to attack your organization. So... By popular demand from a customer of mine who is advancing off her security training wheels, in this episode of AWS Tech Chat, we're going to talk about some of the common attack vectors, specifically AppSec, what their impacts are, and how you can detect and take action via AWS services and turn your defense into an offense. But before we do this, let's quickly talk summits, as Gabe, you're obviously in Stockholm today and in the mix of it. Given you're in the mix of it, I have so many questions here, Gabe. Gabe but we're time limited and I'm going to keep it to just three. So question number one, I'm sure everyone wants to know what's going on with AWS Deep Racer League and if the seven second record that was set in Seoul is still standing. Number two, how's the vibe in Stockholm with this being the first summit post the 2018 region launch? And lastly, how's your Swedish?
1: (laughs) Well, the last time I was in Sweden, I was 13 years old Uh, and I still remember all of the Swedish that I learned back then but since I was a 13-year-old boy, that means that what I can say in Swedish is like, I can count and I can say some very bad curse words. Uh, but I guess one thing that's appropriate for the podcast uh, for your Swedish listeners that we have up there, I can say, Jag which I believe means I need to go to the toilet. On a more serious note to your other questions, uh, yes, today I'm sorry, yesterday, we had the 2019 AWS Stockholm Summit, and it was really great. Uh, and yeah, the recent region launch that we had is fantastic news, and everyone's very happy about that. And being an AWS Summit, it's a given for me to say that it was a day full of learning with presentations from AWS employees and customers alike. And of course, you know, we had a deep racer League on site, like we do at all the summits. And I believe the best time we had here yesterday was 8.732 seconds. That's the current preliminary results uh, from a team uh, from a company called Cybercom. And as far as I know, the deep racer timing from Seoul is still the time to beat. Do you know different?
0: No, I think that's right. I think, you know, that was in the seven second mark. Yep. So probably a good segue here, Gabe, whilst you are in the mix of Stockholm Summit, we're still in Summit season. Now... I don't want to look too far ahead because, you know, we're releasing new podcasts every few weeks here. And when I check our summit agenda, there are pages and pages of summits. You know, there are some great pics on social media of the, on the usual AWS channels. You may even see Gabe in Stockholm. Actually, let's make this fun. If anyone does see Gabe, let us know. Chat at amazon.com and we'll be sure to send you some swag.
1: Well, fan mail aside, uh, let's look ahead and uh, talk about the upcoming summits. So... We're in Chicago on the 30th of May at the end of this month, a a week from today, uh, at least today, the date of recording. And uh, we're also in Warsaw, Poland, on the 30th on the same day. We're in Washington, D.C. on the 11th and 12th of June. And not a summit, but related to the topic of security, our first security-focused conference uh, called Reinforce is happening June 25th and 26th in Boston, Massachusetts. And, uh, you know, there's a heap more to go, so everybody should check the AWS events page, which you can find in your favorite searching.
0: All right, so Gabe, given you're in Sweden today, will we see you at any of these coming events?
1: You know, thankfully I have to say, uh, no. I'm gonna be at home with my family in Singapore. May has been a really busy travel schedule for me. I had the Singapore summit, the Sydney summit, the Mumbai summit, and now here for the Stockholm summit. So I'm going to be taking a very welcome break from travel in June to work on some new content and enjoy being in one time zone for more than a few days straight.
0: (laughs) I hear you there. All right. So before we put our tinfoil hats on, let's quickly check the news for recent AWS announcements.
1: Cool. On the updates front, we don't have any new regions to announce today. Uh, But Hong Kong, of course, was a recently launched region. But we did add another availability zone to both Mumbai and Seoul, which, of course, lets you architect your stacks for even greater resiliency. And those were launched on May 15th and May 18th, respectively. Uh, Both are available in your AWS consoles. CloudFront is in a steady state with 180 edge locations after adding 11 new ones in the last few weeks, which we covered in previous episodes. And I think that's probably the quickest news blurb we've ever had.
0: Yeah, it's definitely up there. I think it's just more time to talk about security, Gabe. And I never actually thought I'd be saying this, but in all seriousness, security, and I can joke around here, it's not a laughing matter. So cloud security at AWS is the highest priority. And today we're going to focus on application level attacks that occur on your systems as security has changed.
1: Yeah, right. That means, you know, we're not talking about firewalls, or any of that stateless stuff of yesteryear. Uh, we're you know, firewalls, they play their part in your overall security posture, but the days of only blocking ports and thinking you're secure are totally done with.
0: Yeah, it's totally, Gabe. You know, it's defense in depth. You know, if I remember to my past hosting days, IS5 and Windows 2000, boy, what a headache, you know. Yeah, even though only port 80 and 443 were open going towards IS, you know, but you had front page server extensions. That's probably put a few shivers down some of the listeners. Uh, It's definitely caused me quite a few headaches by, you know, web dev extensions, et cetera. And Uh. today, this is kind of what we're going to do. We're going to address this as a topic. So I think we need to level set, you know, here, Gabe, what is application security? And given your pedigree as a developer, you know, I'm just a hack here. Maybe you might be able to explain to our listeners exactly what AppSec is.
1: Sure. I mean, we can start with sort of a textbook definition of what it means to me. Uh, application security encompasses the measures we take to improve the security of our apps, often by finding and fixing and or preventing security vulnerabilities uh, more at the application level, so instead of the network layer. You know, My take on this is that it's all about your app vulnerabilities, which is in your code that lets people gain access to stuff, and that can be pretty serious. Uh, getting that stuff wrong can result in data loss, corruption, disclosure to unauthorized parties, or you know, even denial of access. In some cases, you know, injection can lead to complete host takeovers.
0: Serious stuff here. And given today we're talking AppSec, I don't think we can have a credible conversation without talking about two things. So that is the OWASP top 10 and CVEs.
1: Yes, uh, those are really, really good topics. And for people who are uninitiated, they might think that that first one sounds like an animal that's going to sting us.
0: Two acronyms you should be aware of, and hopefully being aware and, you know, embedding security into everything you do will ensure, you know, you're on the right side of these. So look, OWASP is not an animal that's going to sting you, but it does stand for the Open Web Application Security Project. And the OWASP top 10 is a list of the 10 most dangerous current web application security flaws, along with effective methods of mitigation. So we're talking here attacks on web applications via methods such as SQL injection cross-site request forgery, and so on. So even if you aren't a budding security engineer, it's worth a read to get your head around these threats and how to code defensively so your code isn't susceptible. So being a top 10 list, there are threats that are more common than others, but the number one on the current OWASP top 10 is SQLI or SQL injection. So I'll touch base on what that is later. So that's OWASP, but what about CVEs? Maybe you've heard the term
1: before. Yes, but hopefully not in the context of, Shane, your stack has 11 CVEs.
0: I'd like probably be running around pretty frantically with my hands waving around like, oh, everything's on fire. So, okay, Gabe, what are they? What's a CVE?
1: A CVE stands for the Common Vulnerabilities and Exposures System. Uh, it's a system that provides a reference method for publicly known InfoSec vulnerabilities and exposures. It's operated by a company called the MITRE Corporation and they've been cataloging software and firmware vulnerabilities for the last 18 years now. It's a nonprofit company and they operate research and development centers sponsored by the US federal government to identify and catalog vulnerabilities and software or firmware into a free dictionary for organizations to improve their security.
0: I think the point worth emphasizing here is a catalog slash dictionary. Call this anything you want, but you know, I call it a standard, you know, all security vulnerabilities that are identified by very, you know, clever security researchers are now disclosed in a pretty standard format.
1: Yes. And what's nice is it gives us a common vocabulary to make sure when we're talking about problems, we're assessing the the same one, right? So every CVE gets its own ID. Uh, Obviously, CVEs, they list a product, they list a score that talk about the severity of the CVE and that score is made up of metrics like the impact and an exploitability score.
0: Yeah, so if I'm following here, something may be pretty easy to exploit, maybe say a cookie injection to change some text on the UI, but it may not have a huge impact. Whereas gaining system or root level access via a buffer overflow is going to be really hard to exploit, but have a huge impact. How'd I go there, Gabe?
1: That is exactly right, Shane.
0: Okay, so hopefully we've given you a bit of a crash course in CVEs and OWASP, so you know about them. So I want to pivot on how you can use AWS services, not only to identify and detect CVEs and OWASP vulnerabilities, but to also help remediate and block these incoming threats. Now, I'm pretty sure everyone is familiar with a firewall, but your standard firewall runs at layer three, you know, the network layer and layer four, the transport layer of the OSI model. That is the open systems interconnection model. If you're not familiar with the OSI model, it's probably worth putting this term into your favorite search engine, as it's a handy term to understand and will do you well during your IT career. But Gabe, how's this going to help my security to my application here?
1: Really, it isn't. Uh, What it does give you is a false sense of security, perhaps, because uh, we're going to assume that you have a website with both HTTP and HTTPS. Uh, Those are going to be open on ports 80 and 443 in the transport layers of the OSI model. Uh, Of course, they need to be, right? Because that's how you're delivering your web app in this context. But what that means is, you know, in addition to all the normal requests that are coming through for your web app, and that's how your users are consuming your application, uh, attackers uh, will be able to craft specifically, you know, formatted uh, attacks over those same ports. And those are gonna fly right through your firewalls because again, your firewalls and your port filters are allowing that traffic and they'll make their way to your application endpoint. So we also need to talk about security at a higher layer in the stack, uh, specifically the application layer. Uh, and that's where uh, a service that we have called AWS WAF or Web Application Firewall, comes into place. So, uh, as I just mentioned, uh, AWS WAF it's a web app firewall, and it helps you protect your web apps from common web exploits that could perhaps affect your application availability, or compromise security, or even just consume excessive resources. AWS WAF gives you controls over which traffic to allow or block to your web apps by defining customizable web security rules.
0: But what does that really mean, you may ask? So I think official blurb aside, it means we now have a firewall that is running at layer 7 of the OSI model. So that's the application layer. And in the context of HTTP, it's able to inspect the payload. So if we go back to a SQL injection that I briefly touched on before... This is number one of the OWASP top 10 of threats, joining many other threats. So we don't have time obviously today to cover all of them, but let's get out our imaginary whiteboard and whiteboard markers out and talk about SQL injection. So let's imagine you're logging into your favorite website and you've entered in your username and password. When you post that form data, your web server is going to execute the authentication request against your relational database. You know, and a SQL query might look something like this. It might be like select star from users where name equals Shane and password equals Snowy Unicorns. Don't judge me about my password here.
1: Yeah. Um, and I think I guess an important thing to, to mention there is that input, Shane and Snowy Unicorns, is coming from the user, right? And so you're taking that input, and if you're naive, you're just going to construct a SQL string and templatize or concatenate uh, that, uh, that user input directly yeah. into that string. So uh, that's where a seemingly innocent query could end up causing some problems.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So as Gabe mentioned, you know, you've now got a select statement with the form data. You know, select star from users where name equals Shane and pass word equals Snow Unicorns, which is cool. So back to my query. You know, it's pretty innocent, but you know, not everyone's innocent. So cue my attacker mask here. You know, what if rather entering my username and password in the form? What if I entered something else? <laughs>
1: You sound like a supervillain. That's a really awesome sound effect, Shane. Well done. Um, so this is this is a hard part that's going to be uh, difficult to explain in words over a podcast. But let's do our best here to understand what this attack vector is. So in a normal SQL statement that you know you would generate in your application to talk to your database, there's no problem. We're taking the username, uh, you know, select star from users where name equals blah and pass equals blah. And instead, we want to inject some special punctuation into that same string so that we make it look like two statements perhaps instead of one. Uh, so I might say, you know, select star from users where name equals Shane and password equals snowy unicorns, and then I might have a semicolon, and then I might say, uh, you know, select star from users, end. Or, you know, I might issue an update statement instead as a second statement, like, uh, you know, update user set admin equals true where username equals Shane. And then suddenly, if if my, uh, SQL string is getting passed directly from my user input. So if you know if that whole thing was my username, then suddenly I'm causing more SQL statements to execute against my application against my database rather than what I intended to, and I've got some serious problems.
0: Yeah, you do. And look, if you're a developer or DBA out here, you know this basically means you've just been owned. That query is going to return you know potentially more than what it needs to. It could be all usernames and passwords. You know it's going to be treated as SQL. So, you know, initially you're trying to pass text in, but you've escaped it. And, you know, you are now being able to execute SQL queries against a database engine. Now, that was a really simplistic example. And obviously, you know, this requires a lot of massaging to return as HTML, but that's the basic mechanisms of SQL injection.
1: Yeah. And, you know, Shane, I know that you've been around the world of the delivering a similar talk about this and other topics as well. Yeah, look, it
0: almost seems like yesterday, but I spoke about SQL injection in a talk called Self-Defending Borders. Pop that into your search engine, you'll probably see posts, YouTube videos on this session and the odd slide share with a few different incarnations from very dev-focused sessions through to more security theme talks. Check it out. Hopefully you can learn a trick or two. What it does cover is SQL injection in detail. So if you want more information and then what we've been able to convey today with our virtual whiteboard, I encourage you to seek this out. So. Back to SQL injection, you know, you've just got owned, you know, the bad peeps of the internet now be able to do everything from, you know, data loss, corruption, taking over your systems. You know, this is scary stuff that we need to mitigate against. So Gabe, I know your past and I know what you do. How would you defend against this as a developer?
1: So the first thing we should do is validate our input, right? You should do that no matter what, whether you're using AWS WAF or not don't trust client input so make sure that you have some sanitization layer that's going to sanitize that input but you don't even need to worry about detecting and blocking this we can even prevent it from being posted to our web app Uh, so client and server-side validation is just good coding hygiene Uh, many ids will have static code analysis that can pick out these things Uh, so i mentioned user input sanitization already but uh, AWS WAF can actually detect these kinds of things coming into our application and even prevent them from landing in our application.
0: So that's what good looks like. But unfortunately, you know, many OWASP vulnerabilities simply get missed and pushed out into the wild. You know, also known as production. So what do you do? Well, on the AWS side, you can leverage AWS WAF here. And there's a few things you can do with AWS WAF. So AWS WAF is going to let you create rules to filter web traffic based on conditions. So that could be as simple as you know an IP address, values in a HTTP headers, body, maybe custom URIs. But that's pretty simplistic blocking IPs and user agents. You know, and it's really an end game. So with WAF you can leverage rule sets. You know, and one of the predefined rule sets is an OWASP Top Ten rule set. So in the case of SQL injection, you know, cross-site scripting, or any of the other OWASP Top Tens, you're going to be able to detect and take programmatic action, which in most cases is going to be a block. But it gets better. So there's also managed rule sets out there. So a few episodes back, Pete and I talked about WordPress. Well, you guessed it. There are managed rule sets from well-known security vendors, from the likes of Imperva, Fortinet, F5, Trend Micro, and so on, that you can subscribe to, and they are automatically updated by the sellers as new vulnerabilities, CVEs, and bad actors emerge. So you might be able to get a, you know, a managed rule set for a WordPress or Joomla site here. So you know, really targeted and are going to be constantly updated. So if you don't have a team of people, managed rule sets, have a place to play, you know, you can find them in the marketplace, and these rules are created using a combination of security engineers on staff, automated traffic analysis, and threat intelligent databases. You know, so they are effectively your virtual security team. And if I was running WordPress, Joomla, or any other well-cots application, personally this would be something I'd be seriously looking into.
1: Yeah, it's a great way to sort of leverage the wisdom of the crowds in those, uh, you know, those me- examples you brought up before. And, you know, from a dev perspective, it includes a full-featured API that you can use to automate creation, deployment, and maintenance of these web security rules. Uh, so you can tie that in with your DevSecOps tool chain of choice. Uh, there's CloudFormation support, and we have sample templates that let you describe all the security rules. So it's actually really easy to get started. And uh, I guess speaking of getting started... How does one implement AWS WAF? You're probably asking. AWS WAF works with Amazon CloudFront, and you tie it to a CloudFront distribution, or at least that's one way you can use WAF. So let's quickly talk through that WAF request process. A request gets made for a resource, and let's say that resource is being fronted by Amazon CloudFront. Uh, so CloudFront checks to see if the incoming request needs WAF inspection. Let's assume it does need inspection. Well, then WAF is going to look at the rules that it has and the payload of that request and ensure that none of that stuff is matching against its rules. Uh, And if it does match, it will take some action. Uh, If it matches a block condition, CloudFront uh, will deliver an error page with a status code of your choice.
0: Yeah, so you can actually play if you're bad actors. You know, send them back a HTTP 200 if you want.
1: (laughs) Yes, it's like if I'm talking to you and you're saying, yeah, 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 but you're not really listening to me. That's brilliant. Uh, I've heard of web forms that do a similar thing, where if they think you're being abusive, they'll ban you, but you still think your posts are going through because you see them posted, but nobody else gets it rendered. So you end up thinking everyone is ignoring you. It's like such an awesome way to deal with trolls.
0: Exactly. So look, anyway, if no WAF rules are triggered, the request is going to be fulfilled and the content is delivered back to the users via CloudFront. And whilst the request is being fulfilled, metrics are being sent back through to CloudWatch to which you can leverage to either create a feedback loop within your DevSecOps toolchain or for reporting purposes. Now, whilst WAF isn't the silver bullet for lapsed coding standards. You know, we're not saying, you know, WAF's going to solve everything here. What it is going to do is help buy you time. It's going to plug those gaps whilst the root cause is either being resolved by developers or a new version might be released from your software vendor.
1: Yes. And sort of as I hinted at above, in addition to CloudFront, WAF is also integrated with API Gateway, which might be news to you if you've been using WAF for a while because we got API Gateway integration November of 2018. So not that long ago. And one cool thing you get out of the box with that is request flood protection. So you can configure a max number of incoming requests allowed per IP address within, say, a five-minute period. And after that threshold is breached, additional requests from those IPs are going to get blocked until the request rate falls below your threshold. So that's pretty cool, too. Uh, And so you might be wondering, okay, well, how much does AWS WAF cost? Pricing-wise, at the time of recording this podcast, uh, AWS WAF charges $5 per web ACL or access control list per month. $1 $1 per rule per month, and $0.60 cents per million web requests parsed. So it's a pretty affordable uh, service, especially when you consider the amount of peace of mind you're going to get for this.
0: We just spoke about OWASP-type vulnerabilities, what they are, and how you can mitigate them either by you know, better coding standards or by leveraging a Layer 7 firewall such as AWS WAF. But we also, you know in the lead-up here, spoke about CVEs, which are a catalog of software and firmware information vulnerabilities. So you have your software deployed, and we have CVEs you know there's kind of a missing link most applications aren't like an os you know that we're used to today you know or maybe even with your phone to push updates they simply don't get updates and it requires you to patch them you know we need to shorten the feedback cycle from published cve to being notified of vulnerabilities
1: yeah you do know there's a service for this from aws right
0: yeah but look don't ruin the suspense and theater here gabe
1: okay okay well i guess i've ruined it shane yes there is a solution here it's called amazon inspector Amazon Inspector is an automated security assessment service, and it helps improve the security and compliance of our apps that we deploy on AWS. So it solves this feedback cycle dilemma by automatically assessing application hosts for exposure, vulnerability, and deviations from best practices. And when I say hosts, what I mean is like your EC2 instances.
0: All right. So it's parsing your software stack for known CVEs, is that what it's doing?
1: Yeah, kind of. It's scanning your EC2 hosts and the packages you've installed there for known CVEs. Uh, So it doesn't look at your application code itself for vulnerabilities, uh, but even just what what we said above kind of downplays what Inspector does. Uh, If we zoom out a bit and talk about it at a high level again, Inspector produces a detailed list of security findings prioritized by the level of security. So these findings can be reviewed directly as part of a detailed assessment reports, uh, which are available via the Amazon Inspector console, or API. Uh, Amazon Inspector security assessments basically help you check for vulnerabilities on your EC2 instances. And as I mentioned with CVEs above, Inspector assessments are offered to you with predefined rules packages that are mapped to these common security best practices and known vulnerabilities.
0: Obviously that was a bit of a sticker description, so let's keep it real. You know, as a developer or IT pro, here's a real example in layman's terms of what an inspector does. So. Inspector is gonna check your EC2 instances to see if they should have access to internet. It could check for remote logins being enabled or if a vulnerable software version is installed via CVEs or if the OS configuration meets a CIS or Center of Internet Security Standards for all Windows and Linux flavors. In short, I like to think you know Inspector is highlighting weaknesses within your security posture. Now, that was a pretty le- high-level overview. But it wouldn't be tech chat if we didn't explain this in detail. So let's talk about what I would want to know and how I need to wire this up. So how this works is Inspector consists of a multi-dimensional approach. We push an Amazon developed agent that is installed in the operating system of your Amazon EC2 instances. And also a security assessment service that uses telemetry from the agent and address configuration to assess the instances for security exposures and vulnerabilities. So I want to caveat here that Inspector only works on supported operating systems. So check out the documentation, but really, you know, if we don't support it, I would probably question your SDLC and general hygiene. As a basic rule of thumb, the Inspector agent works on all EC2 instances that run 64-bit x86 and ARM OSs that are maintained by the vendor. So if you're getting a bit upset that you can't use Inspector on your Windows 2003 server, I'd probably suggest you've got bigger issues here. Again, see our doco for the specific OS types and versions.
1: Yes, and you know just to save our listeners a trip to the docs, uh, a lot of popular OSs are covered. Amazon Inspector handles Ubuntu LTS, versions 14, 16, and 18, Amazon Linux, Amazon Linux 2, recent versions of Debian, Red Hat Enterprise Linux, and CentOS. Uh, and of course, Windows Server 2008 R2, several versions of Windows Server 2012, and Windows Server 2016 base. But moving on. Uh, You've got this agent installed on your EC2 instance for Amazon Inspector. This agent is going to hook into an assessment template. An assessment template is this configuration that you create in Amazon Inspector to define your assessment run. This assessment template includes a rules package against which you want Amazon Inspector to evaluate your assessment target. The duration of the assessment run, SNS topics which you want Inspector to send notifications to about when it's running and what it finds, Uh, and Amazon Inspector specific attributes, which are key value pairs, that you get to assign to findings generated by the assessment run. Uh, That was a mouthful, but uh, I think we can explain it a little bit more. So a template can include a rules package, which is a collection of security checks that can be configured as part of an assessment template uh, and assessment run. Amazon Inspector has two types of rule packages, the network reachability rules, uh, that check for network accessibility of your Amazon EC2 instances, and host assessment rules that check for vulnerabilities and insecure configurations of the Amazon EC2 instance. Host assessment rules include common vulnerability and exposures, uh, the CVEs, the CIS, the Center for Internet Security, Operating System Configuration Benchmarks, and Security Best Practices.
0: Ah, there's our link back to our CVE story. And the last part of the puzzle here is the assessment run, and it executes, Gabe?
1: The... Um, assessment template.
0: Full marks. Like I knew we brought you back on this show for a reason here. (laughs) So look, the run executes the template and it's really the process of discovering potential security issues through the analysis of your assessment target. The run will look at the configuration, installed software and behavior against specified rule packages. If a network reachability rules package is included, Inspector analyzes your network configurations in AWS, to find accessibility of EC2 instances over the network. If the inspector agent is installed in the instance, the agent collects and sends on host software and configuration data. Next, the inspector service analyzes the data, compares it against the rules package specified. A complete assessment run produces a list of findings for potential security issues. And lastly, a finding is a potential security issue discovered during the assessment run of the specified target. Findings are displayed in the Inspector console, or you can retrieve them through the API and contain both detailed description of a security issue, and I think most importantly, the recommendations on how to fix it.
1: So Shane, I think you've asked me your fair share of questions, but let me turn the table here. Which on-host software packages can Inspector analyze for vulnerabilities?
0: Ooh, good question here, Gabe, right? So Inspector finds applications by querying the package manager or the software installation system on the operating system. So obviously that's going to be different between Windows and Linux. But this means that software that was installed through the package manager is assessed for vulnerabilities. So the version and patch level of software that is not installed through these methods is not going to be recognized by Inspector. So for example, you know, if you've installed a soft piece of software via, you know, apt, yum, or the Microsoft installer, that's gonna be assessed by Inspector because it knows about it. But, you know, software installed through, you know, the old uh, make config, make install, or binaries that you've downloaded and put somewhere will not be assessed by Inspector. Keep them coming, Gabe?
1: Okay, fine. How does the scheduling work?
0: Okay, so scheduling, it's pretty simple. Um, You can set up a recurring schedule for assessments, you know, for your assessment template. And when I mean simple, You could trigger it by Amazon CloudWatch event. So you can set up your own custom schedules with either a fixed or recurring rate. Or, you know, in CloudWatch events, you can specify a cron expression via, you know, the CloudWatch events interface that hopefully you all know and love. How'd it go, Gabe? Did I pass?
1: Yeah, I think that I'll let you keep your seat here. And uh, of course, look, let's talk pricing. It's a pretty important thing. Uh, So this is volume tiered, costing up to 15 cents per assessment for up to 250 instance assessments in a given month. But it can go down to about $0.07 when your volume of assessments passes 4000 in a given month.
0: Wow, that's actually not too bad at all. So Gabe, I think it's time to take the tinfoil hat off and exit the Faraday cage and close out the show. Today, we spoke all things security and gave you a security crash course, an AppSec crash course for the developer in all of us. We started the show with some level setting, you know, to set the scene and talked about some of the common attack vectors and introduced you to the open web application security project and more specifically the OWASP top 10 before moving on to common vulnerabilities and exposure system or CVE, which provides a catalog of known information security vulnerabilities and exposures.
1: Yep, and then we moved up the stack to layer seven and spoke about AWS WAF, our web application firewall that helps you protect your web apps from common web exploits that could affect your app availability could compromise security or consume excessive resources. And we talked about how you can use AWS WAF to mitigate OWASP top 10 risks, as well as how you can leverage managed rule sets for common COTS applications.
0: We then moved on to Amazon Inspector, which is our automated security assessment service that helps shine a light on the security and compliance of applications deployed on EC2 by detecting CVEs and instance drift against CIS standards. And what's more, both Inspector and WAF being part of the tight-knit AWS ecosystem provide mechanisms to either report or provide automated responses to the threats you face, allowing you to build you know, a self-defending border to protect your online assets. Thanks for your time here today, Gabe. It's been a lot of fun. Come back again soon.
1: Thanks, as always, for having me on the show. It's always a pleasure. And now that summit season has quieted down for me, I really hope I can be back on again soon.
0: Good to have you back, Gabe. So listeners, join us again for another fun-filled adventure in the world of AWS Cloud and all things technical. How was today's episode? Did security hit the mark for you? I wonder if it worked for my customer. In any case, don't be shy. Send us an email at awstechchat at amazon.com. And until next time, keep on building. Bye for now. See ya. Signing off. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked it... Tell your friends, tell your colleagues, and tune in again to learn about AWS Cloud. Please subscribe to AWS Tech Chat by visiting www.awstechchat.com.